Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Eating Crow podcast. I'm joined today by Michael McGreevy, who was referred to be by another guest on a podcast, and we finished the episode, There's a Guy You Gotta Meet, is how we closed it. So Michael and I had the pleasure of meeting a couple weeks ago, and uh, I certainly was excited about putting this episode together, so I think you all be as well. Michael's got a great background, and he's now manifesting his future in a couple different ways, and we're going to get each one of them. So... Michael, tell us why you you live in Buffalo. That's where I want to start. <laughs> you know, I actually get this question a lot because there's this perception that Buffalo is this frozen tundra where everybody's like living in a cave and trying to just survive this constant barrage of ice and snow. When uh, really, you might be surprised to to know that uh, it's gorgeous here in the summer. I have a garden going in the backyard. I go out and get my uh, dinner out there every day. It's awesome. And um, yeah, Buffalo's fantastic. But I will say the most, you know, the, the most important reason here is I have a lot of family that lives very close by. There's 14 cousins on one side that my kids get to play with. And um, my parents are down the street. I have three siblings. They live close by as well. If that wasn't the case, I probably would be down there in the south where you are, Peter. <laughs> well, and Michael, I can ask the question because I'm from Wisconsin, so I can tease other people about these long winters. I've always been fascinated when you watch the Weather Channel in, in like January and they interview someone in Buffalo and there's like 12 feet of snow behind them and they say to themselves, I don't know why I live here. <laughs> I'm like, well, it's gonna, guess what? It's going to happen next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You forget every year, actually. You know, in the summer. You do. You get the great summer and you're like, yeah, you're like, this place is amazing. Why would I ever live anywhere else? And then, you know, come March and April when it's been gray and snowy for four straight months, you're like, why? Why have I done this to myself and my family? <laughs> and the Northeast and the Midwest have a way of teasing you. It's like going to be 75 or 80 degrees on April 15th and April 30th, you get three feet of snow. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. What is going on? Every year. So you ran a construction business for a while. I did. Yeah. It's kind of funny how it started, actually. I I was laid off from a nonprofit job at the time. I was teaching construction skills to at-risk young adults, unstable sort of uh, inner city kids that were in a bad place. We handed them power tools and hammers and nails and, and said, Hey, let's, uh, let's learn some construction. Anyway, that program lost its funding and I got laid off. And so I was working on my own house one day, one of my neighbors came up to me and said, Hey, do you paint houses? At the time I didn't have two nickels to rub together. So I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I paint houses. I had never done it before other than just working on my own. And so there I was the, a week later working on my neighbor's house. And then it happened again while I was working on my neighbor's house. Another neighbor came up to me and said, hey, do you uh, work on additions? Because the back of my house needs to be replaced. I'm like, sure, I can do that. And so that kept happening. And, you know, three years later, I was doing full scale additions and kitchens and bath remodels. And it was going really well until I stumbled upon a podcast that I was listening to during my construction days. His name was Dan Miller, and he has a podcast called 48 Days to the Work You Love. 
I was like, huh, that's interesting because construction's good. It pays the bills, but I don't know if I love it. He talked about this industry of coaching and it just really grabbed me because half the time when I was on these construction jobs, I was finding more satisfaction in talking to my clients about their lives and you know what what's going on in your life and oh what are you working on and that's pretty cool like how could you make that happen in your life so i'm finding myself in that space more than enjoying working on their project i'm like man there's got to be something else that's a better fit for me and so in this um when dan started talking about the industry of coaching and that you could get paid to help people reach their potential i'm like get out of town like sign me up he had a conference at the time called coaching with excellence. And it was an introductory conference to this idea of coaching. I'm like, I'm there. So I drove 11 hours to Franklin with a buddy of mine, paid a lot of money for that conference. And I was just jazzed up at the time. And before I left, I signed up for his program, his coach training certification program. And uh, on the way home, I was like, I'm quitting my construction business. I'm going all in on this coaching thing. And um, I was engaged at the time too, just kind of starting out a family, totally naive, thinking that, you know, as soon as I hang my shingle, it's just going to blow up and I'm going to be a wealthy, high performance coach. And uh, that's the start of uh, my realistic journey of <laughs> building a coaching business. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. We, a couple of things that, that stand out in that in those comments. My dad's a, a master carpenter, electrician, mechanic, all stuff. So remodeling homes, I've seen him do it a hundred times. I've picked up a small percentage of his habits. So I'm kind of handy, but there are projects I recognize were just too big for me. So we had a, a contractor uh, finish our basement in Wisconsin, one of my first homes. He got to the point where we were so comfortable with this guy. He'd come in in the morning, bring the paper, sit down, have a cup of coffee, play with my kids, and then go down and do his. And you know, we we missed him when the project was over. <laughs> I love that. He was a great guy, and just as you described, there are. I think I would ask any friend of mine if they have met a reliable, trustworthy, good contractor. That person will never ever look for work. True, absolutely true. Never. There will be projects lined up forever because it's such a difficult thing. And I love the fact that you were observing these curious people you're working with in their jobs and their careers, and you were fascinated by it and made this leap with zero coaching experience right, into the coaching industry, Yeah, which is fascinating. And by the way, LinkedIn allows people to do that now, right? You can hang a banner up on your LinkedIn profile and say certified coach, whatever it is, with no experience. And, and, and if you're good at it, marketing it, people will will come to you. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. So you mentioned you started off, hung a shingle, and had all these delusions of grandeur. <laughs> right. So what were the first couple of years like? We talked about that in the last call. I think it's pretty interesting to share. Yeah, they were really hard. Now, I wouldn't say I had zero coaching. So I was pretty involved in some church groups and spent, spent a lot of time talking with people and helping them move forward in life. And actually, that was one of the things that was helpful about my conversation with Dan when I was learning from him is, hey, look back in your life. Are you already doing a lot of this stuff? Like that is experience that you can bring into what you're doing with coaching. And I found that to be very validating and confidence building too, because when you're starting at zero, you're not actually starting at zero. Usually when you're starting something that you're connected to personally, there's probably some experience in life that you've had that you're 
bringing into your clients' lives that is actually adding a lot of value right from the start. So that helped me get over that starting from zero mentality. But I was naive, man. When I first went in, I'm thinking, hey, as long as I tell people I'm a coach and I have the passion for it, and you know, I read a couple of personal growth books, like that should be enough. Like, let's let's do this. And actually, for and for the first, um, so my belief was at, at an all time high just from being around Dan and like his whole environment and the people he was connected with. I'm like, yeah, I can do this. And it started out pretty well. Like I had five clients in those first three months and I'm thinking, well, the only way to go from here is up. Like I can just build on these, these client relationships and they'll tell their friends and I'm just going to be so busy. I don't know what to do with it. And then, uh, yeah, reality set in. So a lot of these clients started to reach the end of their package. Yeah. They had some wins and some breakthroughs and then they're ready to move on. Um, but they didn't naturally just flow into new client relationships. And I was asking myself, like, what, what's going on here? Why is this not taking off the way that I thought it was? Was, And I'm recently married, have a kid on the way, and my wife has some expectations about being able to eat dinner every night. And so I started to freak out. I'm thinking, wow, this is not unfolding the way that I planned. And so I had to do what I had to do. And that meant going back and making some phone calls to some past clients, knocking on some doors, like, hey, do you have any construction jobs? And so I, I'm getting my tool belt back out. And it was humiliating because I told everyone I was leaving construction and I left. And now I'm looking for jobs. It felt like a real failure to me. And I went back to working the majority of time in construction and then still trying to build this uh, coaching practice on the side. How long of a period of time did you keep the construction thing going while you were trying to fund the, the coaching business? Yeah, I don't know if it was so black and white, right? There would be seasons where I would have a couple wins in the coaching practice and then maybe ease up on the, the construction a bit and then have these other lulls and where I'd have to jump back in and get another job and construction. Yeah, that was part of my learning process too, is just learning the cycle of a coaching arrangement and also the times of year where it tends to be a little bit more busy. You know, like in July and August, a lot of families, especially in the Northeast, are not thinking about how they're going to grow and how they're going to invest in themselves. They're thinking about going to the beach and enjoying their summer with their kids. And so I had to learn about all those different cycles and and like everything in life, I seem to learn the hard way. Well, maybe, hopefully, what happened is also July and August are when people want some outdoor construction work done. Exactly. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you do any construction work today? I don't. I haven't done construction in probably five years. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Do you miss it? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was hoping for that answer. <laughs> I do miss the cause and effect work like you you put your hand on a board and you put it in and like you saw that progress directly in that moment now the coaching industry is is a little bit more i don't even know the word to to describe it but nebulous yeah nebulous perfect absolutely so you might not see the returns on coaching for several months down the line now when you do see them they're very meaningful and satisfying but 
I missed that part of it, but there's plenty of plenty of room at my own house to uh, stay busy with that stuff <laughs> for sure. That's very true. I know having grown up around, you know, a, a, a machine shop and a, and a carpentry shop and what my dad did, I, I can get lost, you know, in a, in a Saturday with a to-do list and same thing. You just, you just get done with the day and you're like, that felt great. I call it God's gym. You're out in God's gym, right? You're, you're doing things. And so help us understand how my guess is, and just by looking at your podcast and your current coaching business, what did you gravitate towards as your niche in coaching, right? There are coaches for almost every aspect of life now, but it's a crowded space. So how did you, how did you differentiate and and what were the problems you were trying to solve that got people to go, I need to spend some time with Michael? Yeah, I think what's was most compelling is what I experienced in my own journey, right? So I'd, okay, I had such a lack of confidence in my early years, in my early adult years. And when I started to see that belief and confidence was such a key part of me becoming successful and and how far that gap was for me. So realizing that my starting point, I had such a low opinion of myself and such a low level of belief. Okay. And then when I started to see some success, I realized, wow, like this is a key piece of being successful is is having an expectation and a belief that you can do what you want to do. So I think wanting to do that for other people and help them develop an accurate perspective of what they're capable of. Like I, I think those things don't match up very often. And maybe especially for men, like they want to do certain things and they want to accomplish certain things. They want to be successful at something. But what's the first response when you hear somebody talk about what they want? It's, but I could never do that. But yeah, that's probably not for me. Yeah, maybe, but I'm not good at this. Like there's always this kind of story that's going on in the back of their heads that is convincing them that don't bother trying because you're going to, you're not going to be able to pull this off. And so when somebody gets that, when somebody really starts to see, well, no, that is not a helpful story that I've been telling myself. In fact, the reality is that if I set my mind to this and I'm patient over time, this is not not only achievable, but more than this is achievable. Where do you think that inherent self-doubt comes from? That when you drill down with a, a client, where is that rooted and how do you help them overcome it? I'm going to get real deep real fast. Yeah. Yeah, please but do. For me, it is, I'm a man of faith, and I think that there's an enemy to us. And I think that this enemy is doing everything he can to prevent us from fully stepping into who we were made to be. And so where does he work? In our mind. And convinces us and lies to us about who we really are so we won't go and become who we were meant to be. That's where I think all this stems from. It's powerful. I have seen, so my brother is one of those people where I believe, first of all, he has a gift. He's extremely intelligent, incredible communicator. And he's been on the front lines of this war between good and evil. And when you mention this being or person that's trying to keep us from being our best, when my brother's at his best, this guy throws everything at him. I mean, life challenges attacking his family in ways you can't imagine. And I know that's because he knows he's having an impact. So 
What's the movie with Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino? Devil's Advocate. Devil's Advocate, right. Incredible movie. Very subtle about how all this happens. And it's the trappings of material things and self-doubt that hold you back from seeing your true potential. So once you've talked with someone and you've brokered this subject about why this is going on, what's their initial reaction? Like, hey, wait a minute, you're getting faith-driven on me or that's weird. Or are they like, yeah, how do I fix that? What's the first layer of resistance you've got to break through? Not everybody's ready for what I just shared there. And most of my clients probably aren't even in a space to accept that there's an enemy that's trying to prevent them from being who they're meant to be. So I I do some, a lot of work in corporate environments where, you know, faith, there's no place for that faith aspect. So there's kind of two different directions there, right? If somebody is, is in on that and they believe that they have an enemy and they believe that, and they serve a God, like we can have that conversation and we can start to unpack first. What are the lies here? Like, let's, what do you think about yourself? Like, really, let's get that listed out. Let's write some of those things down. What is the story that's going on in your head that is not helpful? And how true is that? And so we have to actually acknowledge what's going on first and what you are believing and maybe even where that came from. Did it come from a father or a friend or a teacher from the past that just kind of piled on to that same narrative that you have going on? Like that has to be broken. That has to be disassembled. And then the process moving forward from there is what's true? What's really true about you? And what would God say about you? Like if you asked him, what do you think of me? What would he say? Really? Would he say, "Ah, you, you can't pull that off? No, you can't do that. Absolutely not. He would not say anything close to that. In fact, there would be no ceiling on what's possible for you if you are aligned with him and you are walking with him and trusting him. Anything is possible. So yeah, every situation is very unique, but if if that's going to be, if we're going to live in that faith conversation, then yeah, there's some mining that has to happen before you can step out of that and live out of a different narrative and out of a different helpful story, a more accurate story. So those lies have to be disassembled. I'm starting to make some analogies in my head about your your background in construction. I'll just say as a carpenter, right? You kind of described demo day, right? We got to get in and rip out the old fixtures and and take all the old stuff that's just not working. And then we got to start board by board, as you described, building it back up. So when you approach this with a with a client, are there areas that are consistently there that they need to work on? What are the most common areas that you're finding that 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 guys in general will just focus their need to work on? Mm, there are a lot of common themes for sure. I'm going to take a step back and I want to share just a helpful exercise. And I'm happy to share this with your audience if they want to use it. But please do. There's something that um, I picked up and modified over time. But I think it's really important to record your life. So to, so to look back on your life, and I have something called the significant life events exercise. And to chronologically look back and say, okay, what were these defining moments, both positive and negative, that I've experienced in my life? Let me get those out on paper. And I'm actually going to plot them on a graph. So the negative ones are going to go below that midline. And the positive defining moments are going to go above that midline. 
And from birth until today, we're going to take a look at the picture of your life. And you'll see this graph. It'll be all over the place. And some will be positive and negative because of what you learn through them. But it's a tremendously powerful exercise because you get a glimpse on some of the themes that have happened throughout your life, whether that's negative or positive. And oftentimes what happens when a guy does that and he looks at those those ebbs and flows of life, he starts to see, oh yeah, like I actually was amazing at these in these situations. Like how I responded to that and and what I've been through and I was still able to accomplish what I did, I feel pretty good about the story of my life. Yeah. And then sometimes seeing all the negative things that you've been through, it's like, wow, like I've been through a lot and I'm still standing. Like it's amazing what I've been able to accomplish based on some of the things that I've been through. And oftentimes you see like you see God's hand in all those things, like the highs and the lows. So so that experience can be so helpful just to get that picture of your life and it really can inform how you're going to move forward and it just makes helps make sense of everything that you've been through and oftentimes those major events were exactly what was needed in order for you to step into this next level of life that you're moving toward right i've never heard anybody and maybe this is a common practice in coaching which i'm not familiar with it i haven't heard anybody plot the picture of your life before. That's powerful. It's an amazing exercise to look back and reflect on what you may feel your perception might be is that life's handed you a, a shit bowl. Mm-hmm. But when you plot it out, you're like, you know what? Every time I had uh, one of those days, God blessed me in some other way that maybe I just hadn't realized. And the net of it, that curves way above the line. Yeah, that's right. That's great. And our memories you know, our negative memories tend to stick a whole lot more than our positive memories. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the things that pop up, you'd be amazed. Like somebody that had such a low opinion of their childhood and such a negative perspective of what they've been through. This one guy one time uncovered this story of how he like caught the, a fly ball. And when he was a kid in his uh, little league game and it, like saved the game and his dad was proud of him and all this stuff happened. And he's like, I totally forgot about that until I went through this exercise. Like I actually had a, like a good childhood and my dad was proud of me. It was like all this stuff that came out as a result. So I, I would highly recommend that anyone do that. And I'll give you the, the documents that would help you go through that. So if you want to do it yourself. Oh, absolutely. I think our, our, our audience would love it. I'd, I'd love to use it even internally. Right. I mean, even with my family and my kids and myself, just to just to reflect back on it, it's fantastic. When you decided to start the podcast, what was the main objective with doing that? And, and how do you think it's been received? I experienced a pretty significant tragedy early on in, in my adulthood where a friend of mine was killed on a construction site. And then I experienced a few other things where some friends committed suicide and there were some near-death experiences all in a very short period of time. And so this idea of um, living life to the fullest and, and seizing it and going all in right now has been a theme and an underlying burning that within me for a long time. Okay. And so my podcast is The Business of Living. And if you've ever seen Shawshank Redemption, like Get Busy Living. One of my top five movies yeah. of all time. Finish this one. Get Busy Living or get busy dying. Right. So yep. it's the whole theme of it is like, 
life is incredibly short and we often push things off and say, well, maybe I'll get to that later. Or, you know, when I'm in a better place, I'll go after what really matters to me. Or I can always spend time with my kids later after I get this done. Like there's a lot of kind of talk that goes on in, in my head thinking like, oh yeah, I got plenty of time and I'll do that later. And, but the reality of it is, is we have just such a small window here to, to go for it. And you think about it, you look at anyone who's at the end of their life, the regrets are always not going for it. It's, it's always like, I wish I would have just done what I really wanted to do. That's like the overwhelming regret of the dying is that they didn't go all in and go for the thing that they wanted to go for. And so that's what the podcast is all about. It's about like not pushing something off because of fear, because of this inaccurate perception that you have plenty of time. No, like live fully right now with the circumstances that you have right now, you can live fully every day. When you get out of your bed in the morning, like now is the day. Today is the day to do that. You know, uh, there's this song by Cody Johnson. Have you heard it called Tell You Can't? Yes. I love that song. Right. You can put you, know, you can put a rain check in his hand, Tell You Can't. Yes. Talking about going to fishing with his dad. Just in a great song. It, it's exactly a line. And every time I hear it, I think the same thing, right? And I'm going to surmise something. I might be completely wrong, but in the limited coaching that I've done, not nearly the depth you have, right? I would call it more casual coaching, right? Coworkers, friends, other folks like, hey, how do you how do you approach this? I've discovered that to wake up in the morning as you've described and seize the day, literally seize the day, requires a tremendous amount of optimism, right? When you wake up and the glass is half full, and I know many people like this, they slog their way through the day. Yeah. They're almost waiting for something bad to happen. They never take the chance. They're, they're living under the shell. They don't want to get out. But if you wake up the day, and by the way, when I met my wife, we tease each other because I was brought up in a family where, and maybe me especially, I wake up that way every day. Like literally, awesome. it's ad nauseum. My wife's like, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> You're up at 5, 5.30, just ready to go. And my youngest son was the same way. Like he woke up, like, let's go. We, let's go do the day. And you know, my wife's family came from, there was a little bit more of the, uh, okay, what, you know, when's the other shoe going to drop? When's this shit turd going to hit today? And, you know, God put us together because there's been a healthy balance where, you know, we lift each other up and balance each other out and really good perspective. But when you're drilling down with one of your clients and you, and you take the lessons and the, and the people you've talked into the podcast, into your coaching, how do you help someone take the picture of their life? You've given them data, which I love, right? Here's the data that shows your life's been pretty good, right? But now let's talk about the things you haven't done yet that you want to do and what's preventing you from getting there. How do you flip their their cup over to make it full versus empty? How do you how do you approach that? Yeah, you can't always do that. Some people are not interested in that. And that's okay. And that's one of the hardest things in coaching is to to move on from somebody who doesn't want that. But I think I've had degrees of this before too, of where I feel hopeless or feel like I'm not going to be able to pull it off or not really live the life that I want to. I think what's helpful is accessing desire by taking people on a journey. Like let's, let's really understand what you want. And is that really what you want? And let's start to go there. Like, okay, let's say if you get this, how will that feel? 
Like actually step into that. Like imagine yourself there. Like, will is that really the thing that you want? And so sometimes it's it's a misunderstanding of what they want, or they haven't really been able to take those next couple steps down the road and really take courage and say, no, I want this thing and to get very clear on that. And so I think as a coach, like if you can take somebody on a journey down that road of the future and help them see what they really want, then some of the discomfort on the, on the front end gets smaller and you start to see that, you know, the pain of regret is way more painful than the pain of discipline or the pain of overcoming fear in the moment. And so you try to pull them out of that fear of the moment, which is very like with the blinders on, you're only looking at this one uncomfortable pain that you're going to experience. And you want to take them out of that and help them have a wider view of life, both looking back and look, looking forward. Like, let's sit on that rocking chair on your front porch when you're 85 years old at the end of your life. If you're sitting there, what are you going to wish that you have gone for? And so then in that moment of facing the fear or the uncertainty right now where they sit, that, that gets a whole lot smaller when you start to look at the huge, the, the larger scope of life where you know, you're at your deathbed and you're at the end of the road. Like, do you fully take on that feeling of regret for not doing it? You know, it's so powerful. I think when you sit down with someone and you analyze what their goals are, and I think of people who view their goals as temporal, right? I want a big house. I want to get this car. I want to make this much money. I want my career to be this. I want to be all those things. And a lot of people that approach coaching and mentoring look at those material goalposts, right? That's what I want to get to. But to your point, if you said, all right, let's say you get that car. What happens next? And and what makes you think that getting the car, what is it about the car that gets you excited? Well, I'd love to take my kids out in that car. I'd love to go whatever. And then you say to yourself, so is the goal, the car is the goal to find a joyful experience with your kids. And they're like, well, yeah, I guess it's really about maybe impressing my son or making them feel like I've been a good dad or, okay, so do you think you need a car to do that? What if you picked your kid up tomorrow and took him to a park and played catch with them? and spent an hour with them and took them for ice cream. What do you think your kid would feel then? Yeah, right. By the way, that cost you $3.95. Yeah, and a Hyundai can go 100 miles an hour. (laughs) Exactly, right? The things you think you need to bring joy to other people are not necessarily true. Now, I'm not dismissing the fact that I want to have a retirement and I want to have a home that I can raise my grandkids in and, and all those things. But I look back it's funny. I'm now picturing this picture of my life. I look back at the things I thought were important in my twenties and thirties and the things I feel like are important in my fifties. And they're very, very different. I guess that's part wisdom. It's part having God in my life, recognizing that I can find joy in a lot of other places and just putting faith there. But I'm going to be honest, Michael, I've talked to a lot of coaches and I hear their, their mission. I hear their objectives and there's some really good coaches out there. It's hard for me sometimes to walk away with those conversations understanding the concrete actions that that coach is going to take and how they're going to measure it. And particularly, as you described early on, this isn't like nailing a board to a wall and seeing instant gratification. This is nebulous as we talked about. It takes time. But I can honestly imagine going through some of the exercises you've just described and feeling their impact. So this is fascinating to me. I appreciate you saying that because I I lived in that world of motivation for a while too. Think because you know, it is helpful for a time 
to get fired up about something and to get inspired about something. But that that runs out, right? And you can only hold up that front for so long. So there has to be something that's deeply authentic that you're connected to in order to really create transformation and change in your life. And I think being positive is great, but you know, if you walk around singing songs and and you're internally a dumpster fire, like that's incongruence. And so you want that outside to match the inside with all of its ugliness and, you know, it's good parts too. So I'm not of the opinion that just deciding like that you're going to have a positive perspective is going to change everything for you. I think there's, it's a deeper, more thorough process that happens internally. I mean, if that's where Jesus knew that he needed to start with us, I think I'm going to listen to that, right? That's that's where it starts from the inside and then it comes outward. And then you start to see those things show up in your life. Have you watched the series called The Chosen yet? I have, yes. So for me, uh, it's so good. It was it's It's the first depiction of Jesus I've ever seen where I could relate to him. And growing up as a kid, the, the, the early movies for me were, he was so far beyond reach, right? He was just, it was so hard to relate to him. But you got to see him as he's building his, his, his building the disciples and the apostles, and he's assembling his team, right? Just living out in the desert in the fact that every one of them were imperfect in dramatic ways and how he embraced them and didn't judge them and raised the bar for them and lived with it. it to me, it, they really did a great job of balancing God and man together. And as you described it, I, I watched this with my wife. And then I said to all my kids, another typical dad move, you all need to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> my kids don't live with us anymore. So I, I literally have to say, you must go watch this. And they kind of know when I'm being faith dad or I'm just being dad dad. And, and I said, this is what you need to watch. But my wife and I both looked at each other and we've had different faith journeys and just said, holy cow, like, I would be so incredibly drawn to him had I known him like that. And it was a great way for me to leap 2,000 years forward and feel the same way. Yeah. And you described a couple of things that are that are important. That's It's really understanding what Jesus wants for you in your life and knowing that doesn't mean a promise of ease or constant joy. It helps you get through those moments when your friend died in the construction zone or these other things happen in your life where you couldn't make life, you know, a living initially coaching, but recognizing it's part of the journey is very hard for people to understand. Yeah, it is hard because boy, do we hate pain and discomfort. And actually that's, that's an essential part of us becoming who Jesus wants us to become. Like we are going to feel pain and it's uncomfortable to let go of the things that are holding us back. And I think the thing that I'm still working through now is the fact that what Jesus wants for me is what I truly want for myself, too. I'm not there every day. I'll be straight up with you, Pete. I mean, sure. But yeah, I know up here that that's true. So I'm working toward really fully embracing that idea. And I, I still got some I still got some junk to burn off, my friend. <laughs> By the way, we all do. I mean, every one of us does. We see so many of our friends and our peers through a lens that they want us to see them, the best version. And every person on this planet is going through a struggle. All of us are. And I had a, a little bit of a 
epiphany in my prayer life years ago where I stopped praying for results for myself, for my kids, anybody else. And my prayers are simply kind of wired this way. Please help my kids be drawn to you. Just pull them into your, let the Holy Spirit work in them. That's all I ask, let the Holy Spirit work for them. And please be by their side as I know you will whenever they face a challenge. That's it. If you fill their heart and soul with the Holy Spirit and you're with them, that's all they will ever need. And and to your point, that's what he wants anyhow, right? So I've stopped asking for, you know, let let Vinny get through this test and let him, you know, whatever, and let Sydney do this. No, just be with them. Hmm. It's more of a conversation with God than anything else, because that's after I, I list the 20 things I got to work on. <laughs> <laughs> like, help me with these things. And the same thing for me. I just say, just help me be where I need to be. Help me listen to you, Lord, when you're talking to me. Help me understand that and help me act on it, right? So, you know, let me be a vessel, whatever it might be. I don't know what the results are. You Only you do. It's really hard to find the patience or the, the recognition that prayers are answered in all sorts of different ways. Yeah, right. Again, we're stepping out of that cause and effect world that we so love to cling to. We, we just have to kind of sit there and, and wait for the best thing. And yeah, you're right. I mean, the when you're connected with God, that's what causes that transformation. When you're with him on a regular basis, that's where the changes that you want to happen, they happen. And you hear them at the right time and you can respond to them in the right way. I don't know about you, Pete. I want to skip over that step and just kind of make it happen myself a lot of the time. I think we all do. And in in general, that's one of the challenges I think of being in our role, right, is we want to solve problems instantly. And I know I've learned that, in, and I still struggle with this in conversations with my wife. Sometimes she just wants to talk and share and feel. And I'm like, well, how do we move on to the solution, right? And I'm, I got the spreadsheet working in my head. I got this all figured out tomorrow. That's not, that's not the response that's required at that particular time. Yeah, that's too simple, right? I mean, actually, just before this recording, I, I have coffee with my wife every morning. And we just kind of hang out and talk and talk about the day and everything we're we're doing. And um, we're just, we got in a fight. Like, it, it's just, so, it was so frustrating because, you know, I didn't want to start my day that way. But it was just about that subject of me wanting to fix something for her, me wanting to, like, help a situation that was, that approach was not helpful at all. In fact, what she needs and wants is to be supported is to feel supported is to feel like i love her and i'm hearing her and i'm with her and all those things and it's just so against the grain from what i'm naturally going to do when there's an issue that it's like it's death right it's like it's painful it's like oh i got to completely change the direction of what i know will help and do what will really help that shows up in a lot of different areas like especially for driven positive people like you you want to get up and you want to get after it and figure it out but there's some death involved if you want that to be real and to really be helpful yeah we're imperfect beings and i know that when i look back on a day or a week or evening or particular time it's usually when my uh, my mouth outpaced my brain <laughs> well said <laughs> right yeah. and i i wake up the next morning and go well, there you go. (laughs) I used to lament on it. I used to like, oh, you know, and then I've just figured out, all right, I just got to be a little better today than I was yesterday. And I got to learn from these things. So I had a friend who I really respect who grew up in a faith environment, 
but is so incredibly intelligent, like off the charts, SAT, AC, genius level intellect, that he's moved towards there is no God, mm. right? He's too smart for God. There's, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, something that he can't measure, see, touch, feel, whatever doesn't exist. And I love talking with him because he wonders why I feel the way I do. And my response is, well, first of all, you're smarter than me, right? You are smarter than me. But second of all, there's so much in this world that doesn't add up. It can't be a math problem. And the pure joy of having boundless faith is peaceful. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it's not for everyone yet, but I think God has a journey and it, you know, the Holy Spirit works in crazy ways. But when you realize it's not about you, it's an incredibly peaceful way to let go. And you have a part to play in why that we could go. That's a whole separate podcast. But I think helping people recognize, I'm just going to come back to, and by the way, I'm naming this episode of the podcast, by the way, is the picture of your life. That's what this is going to be called. All right. Sounds good. My bold, that's all caps. I'm taking notes inside. It's all caps. I just love that, right? Now I'm going to use, if I could sit down with this person and say, all right, let's draw a picture of your life. And you tell me how God could not be involved in that picture, mm-hmm. right? And if you can, if you can develop the, the formula <laughs> for your life and prove that it's a mathematical outcome, I'm all in, but I don't know that you can. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. And actually, during one of our coffee talks, me and my wife were talking about this. Like, I'm looking out there off of my front porch and watching squirrels and trees. And I'm thinking, okay, everyone's excited about AI, right? Like a a robot that can make its own decisions and learning. And people are just like, this is unbelievable. Can you, isn't this amazing what we built? And we're looking around at a completely self-sustaining being, a squirrel, for example, that knows exactly what to do. It feeds itself. It makes a house for itself. It sleeps during the winter, then wakes up again and does it again the next year, knows how to build a family. And everyone's like, oh, it's a squirrel. How did that happen? Like You've worked your entire life for generations to get this robot to say hi to you. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like amazed. Like Everyone's amazed. Wow. Look at what we have done as humans. And we're just talking about a squirrel here. You could never recreate something like that. Let's talk about the trees. Let's talk about the seasons, the sun coming up and down, the fact that this planet is moving as fast as it is and sits where it is and we're not flying off the side of it. And all that, that's just all like the practical stuff. Then you get into a human and their individual emotions and choice like science hasn't even begun to touch that. Like the variability in that thought process is <laughs> in, it's inconceivable. It's humiliating for science to even broach the subject. Like they can't even go there. And it probably was just something maybe like the gases moved around at the right time and it evolved over billions of years. It just got better into that's how we got to this point. Yeah. That's how baseball caps evolved. I don't think so. (laughs) It goes back to that great line that says, if you want to make God laugh, just show him your plans. Yeah, right. (laughs) It just, that makes me smile. Like literally when I'm having my conversation with God, I'm like, every time I want to say, hey, yeah, it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) But, But that's interesting. So I struggle with this sometimes too, because Mm -hmm. we're also 
invited to have like desires and visions of the future and want to make an impact in the world. And then there's like what God's plan is for us. It's, that's just an interesting dichotomy, right? That we would have a will and he would have a will and how do they come together and how do you view that in a healthy way? I, I have this conversation a lot because I wrestle with that. I think we all do. If I'm going to straddle that line, like what's my will? What? And here's the, here's the way I view it, just as you kind of described it. God gave me a set of skills, capabilities to use in the world for good. He gave me those things under my own free will. Hey, Pete, go choose to do good. You can choose to do that. So you're right. I have goals and desires and certain things, but I also recognize that here's the way I, I, I net this out. Lord, let me use every gift you've given me to the best of my abilities to serve you, right? So I may have a certain goal or desire. I don't know if it's the right one. So I just ask for wisdom to understand what the right call is. And then I ask for fortitude to go make the call, right? And sometimes I also have to ask for the ability to listen or understand, you know, the gifts of the spirit or the things I pray for every day. How do I get those? Wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. So if I ask for those things, those produce fruits of the spirit. And that's how I kind of pray for my family. Like if we can just, if you just, let me recognize you've given me these things. That's why they're called gifts of the Spirit. You gave them to us. I have to choose to use those gifts, which would produce fruits. And I'm not smart enough at all times to know how to use them. So you're right. That constant discussion about that's human. That's being human. I don't know if there's any other way to describe it. It's just being human. No, that, that's good. And I don't think there is an easy answer to it. And if there were, then we might not need to talk to God every day. <laughs> Bingo. Michael, I, I've done, I think this is like 55, 55th episode. This is without a doubt one of my favorite. Really have enjoyed. I, I love to see someone who felt a calling, right? You felt a calling to be a coach and you jumped in it and then you've really morphed it into something that truly helps people. And I, I just have mad respect for you, buddy. I appreciate that. I, I'm really enjoying the conversation and um, man, I could talk for hours about this stuff with you. Well, we're going to do another one for sure. I want to follow up and, and, and check in on, on how you and your family are doing. And I think our audience will truly appreciate the message and the story here. And uh, just grateful to have you on the program. That's a pleasure to be here. And um, if there's anything I can do for anyone, let me know. I'm going to post the uh, picture of your life in the, in the show notes so people get, uh, get that out of this as well. And how they can find you in your podcast as well. Thanks again, Mike. Perfect. My pleasure. Thanks for checking out Eating Crow. Like and subscribe so you never miss a video.